stories carry with them great power. They can transport us into the light and into the dark. And into a place in between, a land of shadows. It is in this land where the macabre and the strange reign. With tales of terror. Tales of hope. Tales of the whimsical. And the weird. These are stories told in the shadows. And we are the Shadow Storytellers. Is it too much to ask to go about your daily business without spending every waking moment fearing being brutally murdered by your friends, co-workers, or passing strangers? It shouldn't be, of course, in a place where life and liberty are called the highest priorities. But in this corner of the shadows, such a request is unheard of. Yes, in these shadows, in a far-off solar system of some unnamed galaxy, a people consider their safety to be paramount, and the device on everyone's hip determines who lives and who dies during the most mundane of activities. Be careful, and keep an eye on everyone else should you decide to leave the room while you listen to today's tale, Kill Switch. I work in one of the safest places in the galaxy. I'm a specimen analyst for Worlds of Wonder, Inc., stationed at Outpost 3 on the forest continent of Cladus. Every day, my friends and I examine the new plants that the survey team brings in. We file the ones with promising uses for the Free Wave Empire, and we make sure the rest gets mulched up safely at the end of the conveyor belt. As of my last employee evaluation, I can process a new specimen every nine seconds. Our outpost has the very latest in participatory security infrastructure, provided by our partners at Fortress, Inc. That's how I know that what happened here is a freak occurrence. I'm still trying to sort it all out in my head. It all started the day of that really bad acid storm. Doro, one of my analyst friends, insisted on sending our Tristellar manager a video of the rain eating through one of the umbrellas the surveyors were planning to use while gathering samples that day. Doro is from one of the newer worlds absorbed into the Empire, so uh, he's cool, but he does things differently sometimes. We humored him that day because, well, it really was quite a bad acid storm, and besides, no one actually thought the manager would answer. And he didn't, at first. But then Doro sent him about a dozen more videos of the rain eating through other company property. Then he called us personally. Out of all the outposts across the three star systems he covers, he took the time to video call us and let us know his decision. We were all going to be penalized at the end of the month for the day's lost productivity, of course. No new sample files means no money to go around. But he was going to let the surveyors stay inside, and even let us all earn back a quarter day's pay by giving the outpost a deep cleaning. So we were all scrubbing down the analysis room together. It was the first time the survey team, made up of Roth and Getch, had really collaborated closely on anything with the analysis team, made up of Doro, Minette, and me, Venna. That's me. Things were a little bit tense between Getch and Doro that day, I remember. Getch accused Doro of robbing him of three-quarters of a day's pay by reporting the storm. Doro asked if he really thought three-quarters of a day was worth getting his skin melted off for, and Getch said that if he did, it was his choice to make. Usual stuff. All in all, things were going okay. We were making the place shine, the roof was holding, 
except for the few leaks we'd already mapped in the last storm and knew well enough to avoid. The power was on, and the security system was working, which was the main thing. Whenever one of us needed to come in or out of the room to move cleaning supplies or trash, we would place our hand against the panel on the Fortress brand door like normal, just like anywhere else in the Empire, and it would send out a request signal to everyone in the room. Then, the implants in our hips would make that pleasant beeping sound, and we'd all flick our approval switches upward so that the lock would release, and the thick, solid steel door would open just long enough for one person to pass through. Like I said, secure. Every time our movements drew my attention back to that power on my hip, it always made me feel safe. From everything. Even the weather. So, needless to say, it came as a complete shock when Minette put her hand on the panel, just like we all had a dozen times that day. And then, after we'd all flicked our switches and the implants had stopped beeping, we didn't hear the click of the lock that was supposed to come afterward. Instead, we heard the ear-splitting bang of the door's hammer falling and cutting her in half. Just right in half, bottom half over here, top half over there, and all this blood and intestine and stuff spilling out in the middle. We all knew that sound from drills, of course. Worlds of Wonder tests every employee's implant and every door in the outpost twice a year, partly to make sure they're all working for when we need them. It's mostly a team-building thing. It's a reminder that the Fortress brand doors we have on company property are the very best available. Their hammers are 100-pound bars that span the whole width of the door at about waist height, and the side that faces the door is equipped with a bank of lasers that can cut through basically anything the weight alone can't break apart. And below that, just in case, there's a row of hypodermic needles filled with a powerful neurotoxin. Nothing, no sentient species in the known universe, can get through those doors alive without permission. On drill days, we get a special lunch, and we each get to split a cheap dummy in half, and we cheer together every time we hear the bang, and it's just... It's reassuring, okay? It sounded different that time. Maybe it was because Minette's body had so much more liquid in it than the dummies. Or because there was just no way I could have known to be ready for it. I wasn't even wearing my ear protection. So maybe... Maybe that one tragedy won't ruin that sound for me forever. Anyway, as soon as the hammer came down, we all knew right away what it had to mean, but I just couldn't believe it. Why would one of us have flicked our switch downward? Why would someone do that to Minette, to our own teammate? Things like that don't happen. I mean, sure, there are reports of things like that happening every other day, but those are just lies from people who hate the Free Wave Empire, or who want to steal it away from people like us. They'll say anything to make us weaken our security and make it easier for them. Right? I mean, that makes so much more sense than people just killing each other for no reason at all. But Doro, of course, he's the type who believes in all that stuff. So right away, he looked around the room and shouted, Who? Who was it? Who vetoed her? And I was so sure that no one was going to answer. I thought, maybe it really wasn't any of us. 
Maybe it was a trick or sabotage by the Zoshans somehow. But then Roth shouted right back, I did! His eyes bulged out a little and he pointed down at Minette, at, at the top half of her, I mean. He pointed his finger right at her face and he said, You still didn't see it coming, even after all the chances I gave you. Well, this is what you get. So, finally, the training kicked in. It was really happening. Here. To us. We had an active, bad-faith vetoer among us in the outpost. So we followed the procedure, and we tackled him. Doro and I did. We held Roth down and pinned his arms behind his back so that I could control his switch for him, and Doro called for Getch to go get security officer Eglin. Doro and Getch were still sort of arguing, so maybe that's why Getch didn't listen right away. He kept telling us to ease up on Roth. He's not going to hurt me, I remember Getch saying. You're taking this out of context, you didn't know the whole story. I hoped he was telling the truth, that this wasn't really random or nonsensical. Doro just told Getch that if he wanted to tell the whole story so badly, Officer Eglin was the one to tell it to. Eventually, he let us open the door for him. So, Roth went into a company holding cell, and Officer Eglin interviewed all of us one at a time to collect our required statements. Those of us not being interviewed at a given time had to package up the pieces of Minette for her family, and then start all over again on deep cleaning the analysis room. Three pairs of hands short. We almost finished the whole thing in time to qualify for the pay we were offered, but we didn't quite make it. When the clock ticked over onto the next official day and Getch still had a mop in his hand, he threw it against the wall. Doro gave me a look when that happened, but I'm not sure what it was supposed to mean. The next morning, Officer Eglin called us all into his office together to give us the update and a bit of a pep talk for the day. So, I've gone over everything, he said. And the situation seems fairly simple. Your typical workplace romance gone wrong. Roth and Minette had been... talking after hours. You could hear him disapproving of that, naturally. She was breaking it off, Eglin explained. He made several counteroffers, and after they were declined, he... did this. It's unfortunate, but not at all unheard of. The isolation of posts like this one can sometimes make an individual infatuation feel like the only possible source of happiness in the universe. Passions run even higher than normal, and to be perfectly honest, Roth was never the most stable man on the payroll to begin with. I can't tell you how relieved I was to hear him explain it like that. As he was talking, it all suddenly made so much sense. Minette didn't deserve to die. She was my friend and what happened to her was horrible. But it was just a normal, isolated murder. Not this random, indiscriminate phenomenon that certain people kept insisting was coming to get us all. There was an explanation for why it had happened this one time, and, most importantly, why it had happened to her and not to me. She got involved with the wrong man. Sad as it was, some people just had terrible taste. Doro and Getch took the first two turns leaving through Eglin's office door while I hung back a little to thank him for setting our minds at ease. When we were alone and I was about to put my hand to the panel, Eglin said, 
Actually, there is one other thing I wanted to talk to you about. Anything I can do to help, I said. When I turned around to look at him, he was fiddling kind of awkwardly with his implant switch, and his face was flushed. It's of a more personal nature, he said. I was wondering, I've been wondering for a while, if you'd like to have dinner with me. Oh, I said. That was the first thing I said. Next, I was planning to say no thank you. But for some reason, the image of Minette's two halves popped into my head, and it's almost like they shoved the words, sure, that'd be great, out of my mouth. It just seemed like the polite thing to say. He pulled the switch upward to open the door for me. Things felt pretty strange over the next few days. I guess that's bound to happen when one coworker dies and another gets arrested. We were still a little shaken up, not to mention intensely short-staffed and working even later than usual to catch up. Having dinner with Eglin, not just once, but every night, wasn't so bad by comparison. All he did was sit across from me, talk about the post he wished he had instead of this one, and assume that I was listening. Though it did eat through my couple hours of personal time each day. He hadn't tried to get me to join him in his private room so far, and I figured I'd deal with that conversation when and if it came up. The thing that was bothering me most was this weird feeling I kept getting every time I put my hand to a door panel, as if, even with its hundred-pound hammer and laser bank and neurotoxin needles, I was somehow unsafe there. I started thinking about how, with Minette gone, I was the only woman left at Outpost 3, and I knew that shouldn't matter, but it kind of felt like it did. I started planning my days so that I'd have to move around as little as possible, which I'd never done before. And then one day, while we were working the analysis line, Doro said something that made me think this weirdness wasn't just going to fade away. He said, I think Getch is going to kill me. I almost messed up our whole rhythm for the day by putting down my sample. What are you basing that on? I asked. The way he keeps threatening to kill me, he said. I stood there holding test strips in a row of sample tubes, trying to figure out how to understand this. Killers were rare, and the killer had been caught. The odds of another person in our tiny outpost happening to be dangerous as well should have been too low to even have to think about. So I asked Doro, You mean, like as a figure of speech? You tell me, he said, clipping leaves off a fern with irritable little snips. Is I'm going to snap you in half when you least expect it, just like Minette, a figure of speech? I had to agree with him that it wasn't. Venna, he sighed. I need you to help me. So I asked, how? And he said, You have to get Officer Eglin to take the hammers down. I felt sorry for him then, for how scared he was, but also how sincerely he believed that alien superstition that he could protect himself by taking away other people's right to be able to cut someone in half at any time for any reason and sort out the consequences later. He was so naive he actually thought that would be an option. I shushed him right away. I warned him. 
I said, if Officer Eglin heard you talking like that, he'd never listen to another word you say. I know, he said. He won't listen to me. I'm just an alien from a freshly annexed world, right? But you have Conqueror's blood. And besides that, he likes you. I can't make him take the hammers down, I said. You can't? Or you won't even try? He asked. The hammers are there for a reason, I tried to explain. What if we end up having to fight off an incursion from the Zoshans? They think this planet is still theirs, even after we won it fair and square. What if their terrorists decided tomorrow to make good on their threats to reclaim the forest, and when they got here, the doors were just open for them because none of us trusted each other to flip the veto switch? Doro spent enough time thinking that I thought he was going to have a lot to say about that, but he only suggested, What about just taking them off the interior doors, then? More layers of protection are always better, I said. And you'll have to go outside eventually anyway when it's time for outpost rotation. Doro stopped working completely for a moment, and I wondered if he was trying to make me anxious about waiting for the next sample. But he wasn't looking at me, or at the samples. He just covered his face with his hands and leaned against the conveyor belt, letting it sand the elbows of his jacket. Venna, he said. If you're not going to help me, I don't know what I'm going to do. We're light years away from anyone I'd normally... This is so messed up. You're the closest thing I have to a friend here. Closest thing? I repeated. And I'll admit I probably sounded pretty hurt. What's messed up? I thought we were friends. No, we are, he corrected himself. We're friends. Please. I really did want to be a good friend. And I tried to think of something I could do for him. It's Getch you're worried about specifically, right? I asked. Yeah, in this instance, he said. What do you mean? I asked. Never mind, he said. Yes, it's Getch. And he explicitly threatened you, right? Pretty fucking explicitly, he confirmed. By that point, I was starting to like the idea that it was Getch who was the problem, as well as Roth. Maybe that was why I was still feeling so jittery myself, even though I wasn't the one he'd threatened. Maybe some instinct had been telling me that he was dangerous, no matter how big a coincidence it seemed. And once he was neutralized too, Doro and I could both feel better. I'll need to look it up on my next three-minute break, I said. But I'm pretty sure there's a law that lets security officials disconnect someone's implant from the network if they become a danger to someone. If I'm right, I'll make the request to disconnect Getches. Doro let out a long breath, like he was trying to be relieved. Okay, he said. Thank you. I was right about the law. There was even a version of it enshrined in company policy. But it took me most of that evening to work up to asking Eglin. I was nervous, because it felt like a way more outlandish request once I'd had time to think about it alone, without Doro there trying to make it sound normal. More than that, though, it was hard to find a moment to slip it into the conversation. Eglin was talking about what had happened at his last outpost before he'd been transferred to Cladis. 
We had an unfortunate incident with a bad faith vetoing there, too. Oh, just another isolated murder sort, nothing epidemic about it, perfectly normal. He assured me before I could ask. Petty, personal motivations. The victim had just been promoted over the killer. Anyway, the important thing is I handled it just the way I should have. Better than I can imagine most of my colleagues handling it, in fact. The surviving workers in the room with the killer weren't strong enough to overpower him, so I couldn't safely enter through the door. So what did I do? Did I jump right to gassing the whole room like some people might? Did I just leave him in there with his hostages all day and hope that he'd be the first person to get thirsty enough to try the door? No. Like a level-headed goddamn hero, I broke out my tools and I disassembled the wall so I could go in there and grab him myself. I didn't even damage the components. Rebuilt the wall the same day. He sighed and took a sip of his drink. But the company decided that it looked bad to leave me in the same post where the veto had happened at all, so here I am. This was one of the spots where I tried to say something. Oh, I said. That's so... ridiculous, he finished the sentence himself. I know, and now after that thing with poor Minette, they'll probably shuffle me around again as if that'll somehow get them the results they want. I don't know when they'll understand that just because they call me chief security officer doesn't mean it's my job to stop people from getting murdered. I mean, that's what we have a participatory security model for. And if I can't magically stop murders before I even know they're happening here, at an outpost where I know everyone, how am I supposed to do better in a new place full of strangers? That's a good point, I said. I know, said Eglin, and- And- I pushed my way in before he could get back up to speed. I might know of a way you can prove it to the company. You- You do? He focused his eyes completely on me, maybe for the first time since asking me out in his office, and I seized the moment. Yeah, I might know of another murder, I said. One that hasn't happened yet. And you can stop it. But only because you've been here long enough to know the people involved and, you know, build up a rapport to get tips like this one. So you can stop the murder, save a life, and then use it as proof to management that you'll be more useful here than at another new posting. And we could... we could stay together that way. This last bit seemed to seal his interest. That is, he kept looking at me and even asked a follow-up question. What murder? So I told him. Getch has been issuing death threats to Doro. I was very careful to phrase it that way, right out of the company rulebook. Eglin thought about it for a moment and then said, Okay, but even if that's true, what could I do about it? Getch is the last surveyor we have here on site. Management would never let me take him off duty just because some words were exchanged. Well, according to Section 10, Paragraph 34 of the Employee Conduct Manual, I was very proud of how well I'd informed myself as I told him this, under these circumstances, you're authorized to take Getch's implant off the local wireless network. Remove his veto power, Eglin gasped, scandalized. I know it seems extreme, I acknowledged, but it is the approved next step. And it would be temporary, just while you look into the situation and see if you can mediate some kind of resolution. Mediating resolutions isn't my job either, he said. I wouldn't even know where to start. I just told you. You have the chance to save a life, I said. Start there. 
we can figure out the rest together. Eglin sipped on his drink some more, even though it was mostly melted ice by that part of the evening. It gave him a sulky sort of look. You and Doro talk quite a bit, don't you? He said. Of course we do, I said. I might have gotten defensive. We work right next to each other all day. Eglin made a noncommittal noise in his throat and then said, Pity. He always seemed so well assimilated to me. I guess you never can tell. Superstition runs deep. No, I tried to clarify when I realized what he was implying. No, this was my idea, not his. If it is, that's even more disappointing, he said. Even though Eglin wasn't exactly my favorite person, that hurt. No one wants to be a disappointment. What do you mean? I asked. I mean, there's more to being a free-wave citizen than learning the letter of the law, and you should know that, he told me. I wouldn't expect someone like Doro to understand, really understand, how important participatory security is to our culture. But you, don't you remember that feeling when you finally got to take the bandages off your new implant and watch the light blink for the first time when your parents brought it online? Did that not make an impression on you? Of course it did, I said. Every kid remembers their tenth birthday. I don't, said Eglin. I don't remember anything else about that day. Not the presents, or the food, or who showed up. That one moment was all that mattered. Getting to flick the switch up for the first time to let my little sister safely into the dining room. Knowing that I was trusted as an equal guardian of the safety of my family, my friends, my community. There's no rite of passage more profound than that. I was getting a little misty-eyed by the time he finished. He could have been reading right out of my own memory, except that it was my mom who I opened that first door for. There really isn't, is there? I agreed. If you meant that, you'd know what taking an implant offline means, said Eglin. It's infantilizing. It's an assault on a person's very identity, not something to be tossed around lightly because of some panicky gossip, no matter what the manual says. I sat there in silence for a while, feeling really guilty and awful about not being fairer to Getch's feelings. But I couldn't just let it go. My friendship with Doro depended on it. Okay, I went too far, I admit it, I said rushing to wipe my eyes and get back to sounding like the reasonable free-wave citizen Eglin could trust for advice. But we still have a problem here. If taking an implant offline is the last resort for solving it, what's the second-to-last resort? Eglin watched me cry for a while. I really wasn't doing a very good job at stopping. And then sighed. If you're really that worried, I'll give you my word I'll keep Doro safe. How's that? I thought you said you couldn't keep people safe, I said. I'll keep him as safe as anyone could without crossing the line, he corrected himself. How? I asked. The right way, he said. With deterrence and consequences. I'll have a talk with Getch and make sure he understands that if he vetoes Doro in bad faith, his life as he knows it is over. The tears dried up, and I felt myself smile. The first and only smile Eglin ever caused me. We'd worked our way to the only possible compromise, which was therefore the right compromise, and now everything was going to be fine. 
I didn't get quite the reaction I was hoping for when I gave Doro the news in the morning. Are you joking? He asked me, and started pacing back and forth along the analysis conveyor belt, like he was looking for a different exit than the one we had. Officer Eglin is going to do what? He's giving Getch a talking to right now, I said, really trying to let him hear in my voice how comforting that was. To say what? said Doro. By the way, are you aware that murder is a crime? Well, essentially, yeah, I said. But I'll bet that works more often than you'd think. It won't on him, said Doro. How do you know? I asked. Because for it to work, he'd have to have a basic understanding of cause-and-effect decision-making, Doro yelled at me, and then folded his hands as if he were preparing to explain something very simple. Look, you believe that the implants and doors are supposed to protect people by giving everyone mutual assurance that no one can commit unjustified violence without opening themselves up to swift retribution, right? I thought about it. That's one way to put it, I said. Part of it, at least. Do you see how that puts less impulsive people at a disadvantage? He asked. But... No, I said. As long as everyone has an implant, how could anyone be at a disadvantage? Because I actually think about how killing Getch would ruin my life every time I get the chance to do it, so I don't, said Doro. And he knows that. He knows he can trust me not to. But I don't get to trust him not to kill me, because even if it would ruin his life just as much, he won't be thinking about that when he decides to push his switch down, just like he doesn't think about the pros and cons of being forced outside in an acid storm. He'll think it won't really be that bad, or he just won't think at all except about how much he hates me, and then whether his life gets ruined or not doesn't really matter much to me, because either way, mine is still over. Do you understand that at all? I'm... I'm sorry, I said, because I was starting to feel bad and confused again, and I wasn't sure what else to say. Sorry? Sorry. He kept repeating it in exasperated sighs while pacing some more. God damn it, how do you even manage to stick slides in the machine the right way up? What are you saying? I asked him. Are you really this stupid? he shouted, which I thought was very hurtful. You said you were actually going to get Eglin to do something. We talked about it, I said, and I think I kept my cool pretty well. But he'll only take someone's implant offline in the most extreme of circumstances. It's... it's not something to be taken lightly. That was around the time that Getch arrived at the analysis room to drop off the day's samples for processing. He was a little late from his meeting with Eglin, and when he put his hand on the outer door panel, I remember him saying through the intercom, Hey, Doro, let me in. I'm gonna kill you. And then Doro turned to me and said, Tell me something, Venna. What exactly do the most extreme of circumstances look like in your head? I still didn't have anything good to say, and honestly, I just wanted to go back to work and forget the whole thing so I flipped up the switch on my beeping implant. Doro looked at me really sadly, 
and pushed his switch down. The bang on the outside of the door was almost as loud as the one on the inside had been. Just let me out, Doro said, raising his hands. I'll go quietly. Those next few moments, after Doro left the analysis room, I... I was in shock. I mean, how could I not be? And what else are you supposed to do when you're in shock if not go back to work? I waited until Doro had left the hallway directly outside the analysis room so that I could open the door without anyone's permission. I reached out and grabbed Getch's specimen bag from next to his upper half, shook the blood off the bottom, and brought it in to get started. I was just prepping my first slide when I heard another bang from farther off in the station. At first I thought, I'm not sure how much more of this I can take. And then I thought, Doro! So I ran down the hallway and through a couple more unattended doors until I reached the outer door of Eglin's office. But I was too late. Doro was already on the floor there, just pieces and a pool of blood. My implant started beeping, and for a moment I couldn't understand why or how. How could Doro be asking me to let him through again when I could see his hands on the floor, one attached to his upper half, one severed completely, both definitely unable to reach the door panel? Then Eglin spoke over the intercom from inside his office. Are you going to let me out, or do you want me to let you in? I pulled up on my switch. Eglin stepped out into the blood, since the puddle was too big to step over, and hugged me. Venna, thank God you're all right. Why wouldn't I be all right? I asked. What happened? Why would you- He came knocking on my door saying he'd killed Getch, said Eglin. You didn't have to veto him, I said, and before I realized what I was doing, I pushed Eglin to arm's length. He was turning himself in. Oh, Eglin said. How was I supposed to know that? Didn't he tell you? I asked. No, said Eglin. I mean, I cut him off after I killed Getch. Who knows what he was going to say after that? You could have waited to find out, I said. It's not like the door was going anywhere. It was an honest reaction, said Eglin. You can't blame me for having an honest reaction to a thing like that, can you? Why didn't you call ahead to warn me or walk him down here yourself? You promised to keep him safe, I accused, and then realized I wasn't sure how I was going to leave the room after an outburst like that. I wasn't sure I could put my hand on a door panel and trust him not to react. It was so unfair. Thankfully, Eglin backed away and put his hand on his office door, so I could let him out of the hallway first. I can see you're upset, he said. I'll give you some space. Feel free to finish your shift before making your statement about Getch's death. I did need space from Eglin, and I didn't ever stop needing space from Eglin. I never went to his office to give my statement after work, and I went to bed without dinner that night to avoid running into him. He didn't come to bother me in the analysis room, even when I could hear him cleaning Getch off the floor outside. The next morning, though... Eglin ran out of patience and requested entry into the cafeteria while I was filling up on hot cereal packets at the unattended breakfast bar. I let him in even though it made me nervous and annoyed, because there didn't seem to be another option. He stood behind me for a while, 
And then he said, This isn't just about Doro, is it? I wasn't sure what he was trying to say, so I just said, Isn't that enough? I thought you would have forgiven me by now, he went on. Or at least been willing to talk about it. But now I've had some time to think about our relationship. And I've come to the conclusion that you never liked me in the first place. At that point, I wasn't nervous. I was scared. Of all the times for him to have figured that out, that was... Well, it was about as bad as any time for him to figure that out. I tried to smooth it over very deftly. Sure, I like you. Why wouldn't I like you? You're so... I think I'm owed some honesty, said Eglin. I nodded. Of course, you are. I... I just don't understand why you'd pretend to be interested if you weren't, Eklin said. Well, I said, when you asked me, you made it seem like, why do women always do that? He shouted. If you just listen, I said, I'm trying to, on second thought, forget it. He said, just go. I went from scared to panicked when he said the word go. I hadn't even finished my breakfast, and he was trying to make up a reason for me to use the door while he was still in the room. Why don't you go? I asked. He glared at my bowl of cereal. Just because you're breaking up with me doesn't mean you can ban me from the cafeteria. I'm hungry, and I want to be alone. Just get out of here. That was when I grabbed the butter knife from the cutlery rack and rammed it through his eye socket. When I did it, I thought he'd just fall to the ground and bleed like the ones who got vetoed, and that would be that. Decision made, carried out, over with, in a matter of seconds. It didn't go like that. Eglin screamed really loudly and stumbled backward, holding onto the breakfast bar for balance, with the knife still sticking out of his face. What the hell are you doing? he shouted. I'm not going to let you kill me like you killed Doro, I shouted back. Like Roth killed Minette. I wasn't gonna kill you, you psycho bitch! He moaned, bending over almost double and carefully reaching for the handle of the knife. Why would you think that? I felt bad, but I was sort of committed by then. If I couldn't walk out the door without stabbing him, I definitely couldn't do it after doing a bad job of stabbing him. So I grabbed the handle of the knife, yanked it out, and tried again. I hit his mouth that time and felt a couple of teeth break. Oh, God, stop! Eglin sort of gurgled at me. I'm sorry, I yelled, still in a panic. Do you... Uh, do you want to go over and put your hand on the door instead? Get it over with? Get away from me! He screeched. I can't, I said and grabbed the knife again. I don't trust you! I tried stabbing him about a half dozen more places, expecting each one to be the end of it, until he finally stopped fighting so hard and I was able to force the blade most of the way through his neck and get a flow of blood going more like what the doors would cause. When it was over, I didn't feel much like finishing my breakfast after all, so I wandered down the hall back to the analysis room, still holding the knife. I wasn't expecting there to be any new specimens there for me to process. It was just the most familiar place to go while I figured out what I was supposed to do next. 
It startled the heck out of me when I found Roth waiting in there with his gathering bag. Hey, Venna, he said. Thanks for getting us short-staffed enough to give me a pass. Where do you want these? And then I stabbed him too. Because there was no way I was going through all that, losing my friends, hunting for arteries in Eglin's neck with him crying and grunting at me the whole time, only to get murdered by the original, proven dangerous man who'd started it all. It was only slightly easier the second time, and only because I didn't have to get Rolf's neck all the way open by hand. After I blinded him, I just kept kicking him toward the mulcher until he stuck his hand in it, and it did the work of pulling him in the rest of the way. Even so, there was a scary moment in the middle where Rolf slammed me into a row of test vials. In the end, I had little bits of glass embedded all the way up and down my back, but I was alive, and completely alone in the outpost. It was only afterward that it occurred to me that I'd been able to enter the analysis room without requesting permission, even though Roth was already there. I could only think of one explanation. Eglin, or someone above him, must have deactivated Roth's implant when they decided they needed him to work with the pending murder charge, thanks to most of the staff being dead. I guess those were the extreme circumstances Doro asked me about. I wished he was still around for me to tell him I'd found the answer. I finished out the day's work, to avoid adding to the trouble I was sure I was in, sent a message to the Tristellar manager explaining as much as I could about what had happened, and went to bed. In the morning, I woke to a message telling me to call personnel immediately, and when I did, for once, they answered. Venna, thanks for reaching out to us, the woman on the screen greeted me. She had a motherly look that gave me hope that this might not be as bad as I thought. Yeah, I'm sorry, I started. Things got really out of hand. Don't worry about the outpost, she said. We're already drawing up a response to this awful tragedy. We'll get all the doors upgraded again and install them at more regular intervals through the hallways and rooms, every ten feet at most. We'll make vetoing so easy and convenient that no one could possibly hurt each other ever again. Oh, I said. Thanks. But could you tell me... Am I fired? The woman smiled. Actually, our partners at Fortress Inc. have another very important job for you. There are some elements within the Empire who have been raising... concerns about the safety of their doors. That's crazy, I said right away. I was worried she might be thinking badly of me the way Eglin had when he accused me of absorbing Doro's ideas, so I added, I don't... I would never... I'm sure you wouldn't, she said sweetly. Without fortress doors, we'd be naked, I said. Yes, everyone knows that only fortress brand doors make vetoing easy enough to keep us all safe, the woman said dismissively. But right now, we also need them to understand that it's equally easy to veto someone with, say, a butter knife. Oh, it was actually really difficult, I said, touching some of the unbandaged glass gouges on my lower back where I could reach. I got hurt, and honestly, I think I was only able to do it because I had the element of Sir Venna. She stopped me. Ma'am? I asked. Fortress brand doors are by far the most efficiently deadly creation in the galaxy, completely without substitute. The good kind of deadly. She smiled again and gave me a thumbs up before continuing. 
And Fortress brand doors are no more deadly than any innocuous object you might find in a home or place of business. The bad kind of deadly. She gave an exaggerated frown and thumbs down. It's important that you understand that. It's important that everyone understands that. Uh, right, I said. I knew that she was right, of course. But trying to figure out exactly how she was right was making my head feel tight and uncomfortable. You... you said something about a job? The woman's smile returned. Yes, she said. We're going to make you famous. The woman who slaughtered two of her co-workers with a butter knife, drawing attention to her workplace's serious shortage of Fortress brand doors, and to the barbarity of an archaic law that allowed one of her victims to have his implant deactivated for a minor infraction, unquestionably leading to his death. You'll be a true hero of the Free Wave Empire. Privately. To us. Publicly, you'll be a monster. But, I said, trying to think of a reason for her to rethink that arrangement. Three people were cut in half. We'll make sure the focus stays where it needs to be, she said. Are you sure? I stalled. I mean, are you sure I'm the right person? Venna, she said, her smile becoming stern. We've been waiting a very long time for an incident as dramatic as this one to happen. One that killed so many people, I guessed. <laughs> no, the woman snorted. It's five people, no. One involving a non-fortress brand weapon. She looked steadily into the camera at me. It would mean a lot for us to have a loyal citizen willing to give a living face to that danger. But we can make do with the story alone. We also have the authority to remotely lock down the room you're in until we can come arrest you, and your outpost is quite out of the way. Does the room you're in now happen to have a three-week supply of food and water? I mean, I could move back to the cafeteria if you need me to- Oh. I caught on to what she was telling me so sharply that I could have been a spy in another life. Can we count on you? She asked. What could I say? I said yes, that's what I said. So here I am, waiting for a company shuttle to come pick me up and thinking it all over. It looks like my life is getting ruined, which I guess is what's supposed to happen when you kill people. No more special drill day meals or chances at promotion or going home one day a year. No more veto power on my hip. But at least while I'm working and living out my days... Deactivated and powerless in a penal colony. I'll have the comfort of knowing that I'm secretly helping to keep the Freewave Empire safe. Because I believe in our ways. I believe. You gotta believe me. I believe. Kill Switch was written and performed by Fiona J.R. Tichinell. Narration was provided by Matt Carter. This episode was edited by Fiona J.R. Tichinell and Matt Carter. The Shadow Storyteller's theme, written and performed by Dennis Tichinell. The Shadow Storyteller's artwork by Kristen McQuiggan of Drop Dead Designs. Special thanks to Lisa Onzo and Greg Bowles for the use of their guest room in this recording. For more information on the Shadow Storyteller's podcast and our other fiction works, please visit our website at 
theshadowstorytellers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe for more information on upcoming episodes. We hope you had fun, and we'll see you again soon.